1: intercom radio portland's weekly public affairs program i'm gary bloxam this time we're going to be talking about a nonprofit that does incredible work in many of the western states of the united states and right here in our own backyard let's talk about guide dogs for the blind on the show this time i would like to welcome chris benninger chris is the ceo and president of guide dogs for the blind hey chris how are you
0: I'm great, Gary, thank you. Before
1: we get started on this interview today, I want to find out how you're doing during the during the pandemic. What's going on in your life? Are you are you doing okay hanging in there?
0: Well, I I appreciate you asking that. You know, um, so I have to tell myself every day that I'm extremely grateful. I have a home, I have food to eat, um, I have a job at Guide Dogs for the Blind. So um, Yes. I'm doing all right. Good. I'm doing all right. I'm anxious for this to be over, but I'm doing <laughs> fine. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think that's a
1: pretty pretty universal feeling to get this over with. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about Guide Dogs for the Blind. I, the name of the company is pretty self-explanatory, but tell us, what is Guide Dogs for the Blind?
0: Yeah, Guide Dogs for the Blind. First of all, we are the largest guide school in North America, the second largest in the world. And we provide dogs um, to people who with visual impairments, and our mission really is providing independence for those um, who can't see.
1: How long have you been doing this?
0: I've been doing this six years. Okay. It's been an honor to be part of this organization. Yeah.
1: How long has Guide Dogs for the Blind been around?
0: You know, since 1942. So if I do my math right, I that's 78 years.
1: Wow. That's a good long time.
0: It is a good long time. Tell it about, is.
1: Tell me about some of the history.
0: You know, Guide um, Dogs for the Blind started um, in the midst of World War II. It was started by a group of uh, military professionals who, want, who actually were military dog trainers who wanted to help uh, service members who were blinded during the war. And so that's really where the start of... The um, German Shepherd came from, right? Because German Shepherds were traditionally used as military dogs, and those were the very first guide dogs. And what's interesting is today, you know, fast forward 78 years. Um, we no longer use German Shepherds at all. We use Labs and Golden Retrievers, and most service organizations throughout the world. There's only about 10% that still use German Shepherds.
1: Interesting. Why? Well, how come the switch of breeds of dogs?
0: You know, yeah, yeah. So Shepherds are fantastic dogs, but they. Probably make much better, you know, military dogs or police dogs. They're they're much more high strung. There, it takes a much more sophisticated handler to be able to use a guide dog, and they're they tend to be overly protective of their person. So, as somebody who's blind, um, I, you know, having a dog that is really more of a social dog that helps bring me into my community as opposed to keeps people away from me. You know, with a dog that, you know, perhaps, uh, it, you know, we've, we've had some of our shepherds that, you know, growl, keep people away, or just even their look is a little bit off putting. Um, labs and golden retrievers are, uh, they're very social. They're easy to train. They, um, they love to please. And they also are great caretakers for their person. So they make terrific guide dogs. Yeah. They really do. And
1: they're really cute. <laughs> and
0: they're really cute. <laughs> yeah. that's,
1: that's interesting that dogs different breeds of dogs would uh be better at certain things. That's an interesting concept.
0: They are. I mean, well, you know, it's a lot like us, right? We all don't want to do the same job. Um, but what makes a good guide dog is um Essentially, you have to have courage as a guide dog. You have to have courage to make independent decisions because a guide dog has to take a command from their person but evaluate whether that command is going to put them in harm's way or not. So if I give my dog the forward command and... I don't hear to cross the street, and I don't hear that electric car that's coming around the corner. My dog has to pull me away from the street, not take me into it. Now, that's that takes courage to say no to your boss. Not many of us feel that kind of courage, right? <laughs> right. So, um, but, you know, it's that social ability. It's that caring. Our guide dogs... Provide so much more than just independent travel. There, um, there are our clients uh, bridge into the community. They are that companion, that soulmate, and um, and all of that is part of being a guide dog. And there's also one other little interesting fact that people ever think about, is that uh, labs and golden retrievers versus other types of breeds can be taught to walk in a straight line. Wow. And that's important, yeah. right? Yeah, I would, so I would assume that's important. Yeah, yeah, because you want to get from point A to point B, um, and labs and goldens can be taught to walk in a straight line. Uh, let's take a border collie border collie circles around behind you circles around behind you because it's a herding dog right so
1: yeah wow that's a little known fact yeah very interesting information <laughs> we're talking today with chris benninger ceo and president of guide dogs for the blind now chris uh, here in portland when you have a campus very near portland tell us about that
0: we do. We do. So um, we have a campus in Boring, which is 25 miles southeast of Portland. Um, it's what we call our training campus. So it's a campus where um, our dogs are trained and then also our clients are trained as well. So we have um, a hotel on our campus where our clients are flown in to Portland. Um, they spend two weeks with us and they train um And they train not only on our campus, but actually we we go into Portland, we go, you know, really all over um, so people can learn to work their guide dog.
1: Is this the one, the campus in Boring, is that the only training campus you have?
0: No, we have a second campus, um, which is actually what's called our national headquarters, which is just north of San Francisco in a town called San Rafael. So we also train on our San Rafael campus, but we also do all of our breeding on the San Rafael campus as well. So approximately 900 puppies are born every year, and those puppies um, stay on our campus we start, we start our socialization with our puppies when they're three days of age. Wow. They stay with us for eight to ten weeks, and then they go to puppy raisers in the ten western states as far east as Texas to be raised with our puppy raisers for a year. And then they come back to one of our campuses um, to learn their guide skills.
1: One of my coworkers here at the radio stations is named Barb, and Barb has been a puppy raiser for years. So we always have a little guide dog in training around the building, and it's fantastic.
0: Well, we love Barb. Thank you. We could not do our job without our amazing puppy raisers. So
1: tell me what that process um, guess, is like. What what are, what are the raisers? Um, what are the requirements to be a raiser?
0: Yeah. So. Um, one of the things that you know we're looking for um, is an individual or families who are willing to take an eight to ten, eight to ten week old puppy into their home. Um, there's a um, a whole set of protocols for what you have to do to raise a puppy. So every touch point with a puppy is critically important to their development. So. Um, all of our puppy raisers are organized into puppy clubs, and those puppy clubs are overseen by um, employees of Guide Dogs for the Blind. So every step of the way, our puppy raisers are helped um, and taught how to raise these puppies um, and is overseen by Guide Dogs. What we do ask, um, because there is a there's there's a lot of learning that goes on, is that if somebody is interested in raising a puppy, we actually have them join a puppy club um, in their area for um, a minimum of six months to learn the training process um, before we actually hand you a puppy. And our puppy raisers have our puppies for approximately a year, uh, depending upon how they're developing in their skills. Our puppy raisers may have their puppy a little bit longer than that. Um, And then once they come back to campus for their training, we keep our puppy raisers apprised of where each of our dogs are in their training process, how they're doing. Um, Not all dogs actually make it all the way through the training process. So if a dog does not, um, and there's not not another program used for the dog. Um, our puppy raisers have the first opportunity to adopt that dog if they if they would like. Um, of course, our hope always is, is that you know our dogs make it through as guide dogs. And we have a, every two weeks we have a graduation on campus, and um, part of that graduation process is that our puppy raisers are they're at graduation um, presenting their puppy to um, the the person who will be um, their person for the rest of their life to um, to make certain that they're leading that person through life.
1: Yeah. I, hear that, I hear that graduation day it gets pretty emotional.
0: Oh, it is. <laughs> I mean, Every graduation, um, every graduation is different. Um, the only similarity is you absolutely have to bring Kleenex. I mean, every single story is um, is touching. I mean, if you think about it for yourself, you know, I mean, all of us want independence in our life. And um, having somebody to go through life with, a guide dog, that can bring you that independence and be your best friend, your soulmate, your bridge to your community, is pretty special. And I think the thing that um, always, uh, and I, I, I'm tearing up just thinking about it right now, um, is listening to our, our clients talk about the difference that their guide has made and um, I'm a huge believer in the, in the power of one. And so if you positively change one life, just one life, that individual goes on to positively change another life and another life and another life. And, um, and there's more and more good that's put into the world. So I really look at the work that we're doing is, is work that positively changes the world for good.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Tell me about the process of matching the dog and the person. How is that done?
0: You know, yeah, I, I appreciate you asking that because that is um, a very big part of what we do. As you can well imagine, every single, um, every one of our clients is different and every single one of our dogs is different, right? So, you know, finding that right match um, Takes a lot of thought, um, a lot of planning, and oftentimes it takes a little bit of magic as well. But it starts with um, during the application process is that one of our staff people will come out and visit the applicant because. What we want to better understand is, you know, what your home environment is like, what your work environment is like, um, what your neighborhood is like, what will you be asking your dog to be doing for you um, so that we can understand, better understand what are the characteristics that we need to find in a dog. So um, a good example, we have – uh one of our retired board members who has traveled over 2 million airplane miles um, with two different guide dogs. Now, that's a unique dog that can go all over the world, that can be on long airplane flights, um, that can traverse all of these different airports. And then we have clients that um, they work in downtown Manhattan. We have clients that live in suburbs and are going to volunteer activities um, every day. We have clients that are parents who are raising kids. So each one of those situations requires a different set of characteristics in a dog. And then on top of that, our clients have their their own preferences, right? I want to Yellow lab or a black lab or I want a golden or you know, um, I want a female, I want a male. Um, so we we put all of that together to find exactly the right match. and when I say that there's a little touch of magic, every single match ends up with just something a little special that nobody could have planned for. And an, an example of that is we had a client who graduated um, a couple of years ago now who, um, on the graduation stage, talked about the fact that we, – we didn't know this – that he's a huge Happy Days fan, a huge Happy Days fan. And every year, he and his family go to Milwaukee, and they always visit the Fonzie statue, <laughs> Um, I didn't even know that there was one there, did but, um, uh, his dog was named Fonzie. Oh,
1: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and was the dog n- named Fonzie before they were matched up? Yes. That is a bit of magic right there.
0: <laughs> there is. So.
1: Wow. So somebody tell me about the process of somebody who is interested in getting a guide dog. What's their process like in, to getting in the program?
0: Sure, so um you know, first of all, I just you know want to make certain everybody's aware that um, all of our services are free so um, there's there's no cost that uh, we charge people. We also uh, pay for all of the veterinary costs for our dog for their entire life because it's very important for us that our dog gets top-notch medical care, and we never want to put one of our clients in a situation where they are conflicted about either paying their rent or, you know, taking their dog to the vet. So um, our goal is to make our clients successful with their dogs, and we're looking for four key things in order to qualify uh, for a guide dog. One is that you're legally blind, and it doesn't mean completely blind. So um, 70% of our clients do have some sort of residual vision, but not enough residual vision to allow them to travel safely in the world. So legally blind, you have to have a need to go somewhere every day. And that doesn't mean that you have to have a job. Um, it means that you get out of the house and you do something every day, even if that just means I'm, you know, I go for a walk every day. Every day, I, you know, I do a mile walk or a mile and a half walk, because if if you and your guide dog don't work together every day, you both are going to lose your skills. So it's important that there's somewhere to go every day. Um, the third thing is that you have to have um, the basic orientation and mobility skills to be able to orient yourself in your environment as somebody, you know, with no vision or, you know, uh, a little bit of residual vision. And the reason for that is, is because a guide dog isn't a GPS system. You can't just hold on to the handle and say, take me to Starbucks. You have to know Starbucks is three blocks down, you know, this street, and then you have to make a right-hand turn at the stoplight and go down four additional shops, and the Starbucks is going to be on the right. Um, Once your dog has done that enough times, you can say, take me to Starbucks, but you have to understand how to orient yourself within your environment. And then fourth is that you need to be living in an environment that actually will support a guide dog. And what I mean by that is is that it doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while we have somebody who applies, and it's usually an individual in a rural com- community where um, there are a lot of off-leash aggressive dogs in the community. And so, you know, if you're trying to work your dog in that kind of an environment, your dog is, and if your dog is going to have to worry about being attacked, your dog's not going to be able to focus on getting you safely to where you want to go. So yeah,
1: that um, makes total sense. those are the
0: four things. Yeah, those are the four things we look for. And... Um, If a person has that, then uh, they qualify for a guide dog and can apply for the program. Chris, I want
1: to ask you, do you have advice for sighted people out there who uh, see a, a working dog and what they should do around that working dog?
0: Oh, thank you for asking that because I think for all of us, when you see a working dog, our first inclination is to go, oh, my God, I'd love to pay your dog. Yeah. Um, and I think the most important thing is for people to recognize that when a dog is working, the dog's in harness, um, and even, even if the person is stopped, if the dog's in harness, the dog is working. And so you should never interrupt the dog when it's working You can, though, and our clients love it if you would just ask, you know, Hi, I'm Chris. Um, I see you've got a guide dog. Your guide dog's gorgeous. Would it be okay if I pet him? Um, Sometimes, you know, people will say, you know something, he's working. I, I would prefer you didn't. Many times people will say, absolutely, but let me do this. Let me put him into a sit-stay so he knows that he's really not working right now, or let me take let me take the harness off. He definitely knows he's not working. Please do, you know, say hello. But always ask, always ask, because if a guide dog's working, it's really focusing on keeping their person safe. And if you interrupt that, a mistake could be made and that person could get hurt because the guide dog lost its focus.
1: Great advice. Thank you for sharing that. We have a couple of minutes left and I want to make sure we get this in because there's a way for our listeners to actually see some of these dogs in process. You've got something special happening on Disney plus. Tell me about that.
0: Oh, we do. There's a wonderful six part, uh docu series called pick of the Litter. And uh, Pick of the Litter, if you're at all interested in learning more about guide dogs for the blind, what a guide dog does, what puppy raising is all about, the difference that a guide dog can make in someone's life, and just want a happy experience, it's a great, great six-part series to um, to stream. And you can stream all six parts now. They're uh, 30-minute segments. And I will guarantee you, you will love it. Absolutely love it.
1: <laughs> How could you not love seeing these little puppies?
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right. We've
1: all got time right now, so why not binge watch some puppies?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think right now we're looking for happy things to do. And this is a happy thing to do.
1: And it is on Disney Plus, is that correct? Is it available anywhere else?
0: Uh, no, it's only available on Disney Plus.
1: Excellent. Well, uh, maybe give us a little bit of information on how Portlanders can help out guide dogs for the blind too.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate you asking that. So as I mentioned earlier, all of our services are free. Um, we receive no government funding, so we're completely dependent upon the support of our communities. Um, to support our mission, so I'm hoping that people will be inspired, people will want to donate. Um, once we're through this pandemic a bit, um, we also always need volunteers, both on our campus in Boring and also puppy raisers. So um, we can only we can only do our mission um, with the support of our community. So I'm hoping that. Um, People will want to do that. Thank you. Yeah.
1: And the best place to get information is probably your website. Can you give out the website address?
0: It's um, www.guidedogs.com. One word, guide dogs.
1: I'm looking at it right now, and there's two cute puppies right on the homepage. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to resist. <laughs> well, Chris, this has been great information. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Thank you for having me, Gary. And it's please, been a real pleasure.
1: Please do say stay, stay safe and healthy, too.
0: You too. Thank you.
1: That was Chris Benninger, CEO and President of Guide Dogs for the Blind. Let's Talk Portland is an Intercom Radio Portland public affairs program.